Well, thanks, Luke. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure to be able to open this part of God's Word with you today, and I'll try and do this a little bit more reliably than my time advice. So, I think, I think I've got a good chance of doing that, which will be good. Uh, how about we pray and ask for God's help, and uh, that He would help us to understand, and that we might make the most of this great opportunity to turn our attention to this great topic. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter preserved to the Church of Ephesus. We thank you, Father, for time set aside this morning to turn our hearts and minds to you. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is living and active, and we pray that he would be at work this morning, convicting, changing, equipping, and strengthening us to do all that you have for us and for Jesus' glory. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, we've been working through Ephesians, and we've got to the last part of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 to the end. Uh, that might be a, a source of great excitement and joy for you, or it might be a source of sadness. I've really enjoyed the series. I think it's been great uh, digging into this book. And so today we have the opportunity to turn our attention to this last part, a very famous part of the book, and we're going to try and understand and unpack it uh, carefully as we go. I wanted to start as we uh, begin the sermon uh, this morning. We've been diving deeper into Jesus. That's what, that's what we've been talking about. What makes living the Christian life hard for us? What are some of the things that at the moment, if we were to say, what makes it hard for me to keep following Jesus? What sort of things would you, would you come up with? Uh, what, what sort of things push in on you or push back at you and make following Jesus tough? Someone might even want to call one out. What, what are some things that make it hard? Keeping your mouth shut. Bless you, Pamela. Excellent. What else makes it hard to keep following Jesus? Yeah, okay, so lots of influences in the world. People who are going a different direction with their lives to us, and they kind of push in on us. Absolutely. What else? Sorry? Time management. So where do I fit everything in amidst my busy schedule? Dealing with pain and tragedy. So this world grieves and wounds us, can make it really tough to keep following Jesus. Well, there's certainly a good number of things as a start, to start us thinking it isn't easy uh, to keep following Jesus. And what we want to look at today is it's those things and. It's those things and. Let's, uh, let's have a look and see what we've learned so far on our journey through Ephesians. If you've, got, if you've got it there, please open it up. I'd love you to have a Bible open. Uh, if you can find the book of Ephesians, uh, that would be really helpful for you. I'm going to go through and do a quick survey. What have we learnt over the course of this uh, series about heaven and earth as we've looked at Ephesians? Here's a picture of our earth uh, from heaven, <laughs> released from the heavens. Uh, what have we learnt? In the heavenlies, we have a Father. So it's, it's really interesting. We, we just take it for granted that we call God our Father in heaven, don't we? But He is our Heavenly Father. That's where He resides. Uh, and so we see, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is what it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. We have a Father in heaven. We have every blessing in the heavenly realms from our Father. Have a look at this in verse 3, chapter 1. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings have you got? How many spiritual blessings have you missed out on? 
every spiritual blessing in Christ is ours in the heavenly realms. Well, thank you, Jesus. We have victory. We have victory. This is, I think, the one that's easiest for us to forget as we come to this whole topic. We have victory. Have a look at uh, chapter 1, verses 18 uh, to 20. Uh, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that could be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So we watch football at this time of the year and we talk about the glories of kicking inflated pigskin through sticks and putting balls down over painted lines on the ground. And that's, that's the stuff our, our, our world will say is glorious. Here is true glory. Death defeated, raised to life, seated at the right hand of Father, ruling forever over every power and dominion that will ever exist. It's glory. We have a heavenly Father. We have every blessing in the heavenlies. We have victory in heaven. We have a witness in the heavenlies. So it says here that God brought the Jew and the Gentile together, who were enemies, in the church, and that by doing that, God is showing to the the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, he's showing them that he is wise and that he is working his purpose out. There's a witness to the heavenlies that the church bears. But it also tells us in this passage that was just read for us that we have enemies in the heavenlies. Have a look at verse 12 of chapter 6, and this is where we're going to reside for a little while, chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil, where are they? In the heavenly realms. So there's all this goodness for us, but there is also forces arrayed against us in the heavenly realm. Interestingly enough, the world that Paul wrote to certainly was aware of this. The Romans lived very aware of the heavenly realm. And uh, I I think as Australians, we we get a long way away from that. So so when we rightly talk about time management and busyness and and, and our commutes, and and we think very much in terms of time and physicality. If you go to a different place, I I went to Bali uh, earlier in the year. If you go to a different place, they live absolutely saturated with a religious world a religious world, a world where uh, the fact that somebody has a full-time job making offerings every single day is a norm, where every house has burning incense out the front to ward off evil spirits, where every little town has its own temple to offer sacrifices to keep the evil spirits at bay. It's a world that's saturated with spirituality and superstition. And to live in that world is to be always conscious of the spiritual realm. Now, for us, we, 
it's just, well, I don't know about you, but I don't think we naturally as Australians operate with that always in our consciousness. For the Romans, it was always there. They didn't have just one God, they had a whole realm of gods, okay? And in fact, they, they adopted holus bolus, all the Greek gods. So we've got Roman gods and then Greek gods, and so we've just got this whole, and then the emperor set himself up as a god as well. And so in order to keep track, in order to look after their kids, uh, what the Romans would do is they give their boys a bulla and their girls a lunala, and they go around their necks. And you might think, well, isn't that nice? Each of the kids has got a little thing around their neck. It's a nice little decorative object. But it was designed to ward off evil spirits, to keep them safe. Now, there are certainly cultures today where that's the case, isn't it? Where to look after our kids, we need to give them something to keep them safe, to make sure that they're always covered. Of course, in Australia, we do the same thing. And uh, this is what we give our kids to keep them safe, isn't it? <laughs> to ward off evil, uh, to make sure that they'll always be okay. Uh, it's so fascinating. F for us, it's communication with us that will keep them safe. In the spiritual, when you're a really spiritually aware person, you need something that will ward off the evil spirits. It doesn't matter if you can't place a phone call to mum and dad, so long as you've got something around your neck that keeps the evil eye away. Do you see? Now, that's the world, that's the thought world that the Romans lived in. It's the thought world that the Ephesian church was saved out of. And so they're very, very conscious of the spiritual realm. So I think for us, there are at least three dangers that we face. At least three dangers that we face in Australia when it comes to this spiritual realm. I don't know if you know this guy on the end uh, here. Uh, does anyone remember him? Uh, John Saffron uh, put a, a show together a while ago, ago called John Saffron versus God, which is probably a long time ago now. But, uh, but basically what he did was he went around the world looking at everybody's religions uh, and trying them out, basically taking them for a test flight. I think, essentially, to poke fun at the fact that basically none of them w were real. But he did some really crazy stuff. So voodoo and Indian in, uh, intoxicating drugs and all sorts, of st all sorts of wacky stuff. But basically, the idea was he was completely ignorant about the spiritual reality. Intriguingly, he saw uh, an American minister just before he started. And the guy said, is that really what you're going to do? He said, yep. He said, well, can you come back and see me at the end? Because I want to pray for you and cast out whatever will come into you. Very interesting. And in fact, the most, I think the most compelling part of the whole series was at the end where uh, the uh, minister basically, anyway, cast some demons out of him, it seemed like, and he didn't know what was going on. But that's by the by. The, by. The, the, the point I want you to see here is that our, our, our default, I think, in Australia can be towards, can be towards ignorance, where it's just, it's out there, but we're not really aware of it. So the spiritual doesn't, doesn't really impact us. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says that we should not be unaware of Satan's schemes. We shouldn't be unaware of Satan's schemes. He has a plan, he's real, and we can't just ignore him. So the first danger we have is that we can show ignorance. The second danger, I think, is obsession. 
And when I say obsession, it means everything becomes hyper-spiritualized. Okay? So there's only terrible uh, danger from, uh, from watching TV, from going to the shops, from the, everything becomes totally over the top, obsessed. Now, wonderfully, for the person who becomes obsessed, there's great encouragement uh, in the Scripture for the victory that's actually found in Jesus. Have a listen to Romans uh, 8, 38 to 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the obsessed, we need to know that Jesus will never let you go. Jesus will never... So the ignorant, don't be outwitted. The obsessed, don't be overwhelmed with fear. Know that you can never, never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I think there's a, um, I think there's a third one. Um, I put this guy up here. Does anyone know who that is? Elon Musk. Very good. So he's a guy who just recently proposed uh, going to Mars. Did anyone catch up with this this week? Just recently proposed going to Mars. Why go to Mars? Apart from the fact that it would be an amazing scientific achievement, he wants to go to Mars because he thinks that humanity is likely to ruin the planet and that we need to have kind of a lifeboat somewhere established up the line a little bit that we can all go and live on. Now, from his perspective, the dangers that face humanity are purely economic and environmental. And so the answer is purely physical. We're going to have to relocate humans to another place. I think one of the dangers that you can have is you take the spiritual out entirely, not just ignoring it, but you tame it by saying it's all psychology and economics and environment. That's, that's, that's all the, it's only the physical things that, that really exist. And so there are only earthly rulers like uh, people in power and power structures. Now, I think that that's particularly dangerous because when you shut the spiritual out, I think it's quite possible that you can land humanity on Mars and have a self-sustaining colony of a, of a million people there and it will still go to hell in a handbasket because it's got sinful humans there. Yes? Church, I know you're going to agree with me on this, yeah? But when you're ignorant, entirely ignorant of the whole category of spiritual things, when you tame it all to psychology, economics, and physicality, you're in big danger of misreading what's happening in the world around us. So there are people who are ignorant, there are people, I think, who are obsessed, and then there are people who tame it and just basically science it out. There is no spiritual realm at all. These things are real. They are real. And what I want you to see as we look at the Bible here is what, uh, what it says. And I want us to learn today so that we might know how to engage appropriately with the world as it actually is. Uh, let's, let's have a look uh, back to Ephesians 6 uh, and verses, uh, verses 10 to 12. I'll read them again for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice his schemes there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul says they're real. 
They're in our Bible. God says that they're real. They're real enough for Jesus to cast out. He wasn't playing psychological games. They are real. So what do we need to know? First of all, these entities are not fleshly. So they're not flesh and blood. Okay? But they are... In some sense, they have a limited power on earth and in heaven. So it says there, there are the, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So they have limited power on earth and in heaven. Thirdly, and this shouldn't be a surprise, but it's worth pointing out, they are evil. I, I think for some people who uh, can dally in this area through things that aren't Christian, who engage in the spiritual realm, they think that they can be co-opted to good, or at least co-opted to help them, right? So I'll do a little bit of magic, I'll be engaged in some safe kind of witchcraft or whatever. It's important to know, if they're evil, they're not good. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? But what, what, what we have in mind is we have somebody who has kind of a bad character trait that can be overcome, yeah? Yeah? These spiritual forces are evil, they are opposed to God, and they have no plan to do good for you. They would like to kill and to destroy. There's no way of engaging with them that will not end in harm for you. They are evil. What else does Paul tell us? If we take a quick survey of Ephesians, what else does Paul tell us about these powers? Have a look with me at chapter 2. And you'll see uh, what exactly they are up to. Chap- Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read uh, the first bit here, uh, verses 1 to 3. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What do we know? Our past, if you're a saved Christian here today, someone who said yes to Jesus, turned from your sins, said, I want Jesus to be my Lord, then your past is describing that you were previously following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You were held captive by him. That might have looked quite nice on the outside. But your rebellion against God was evil. And the past says that you were held captive by the ruler of this world. Wonderfully, if you've said yes to Jesus, something amazing has happened. Have a look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace You've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So you've been set free. You've been set free. More than that, and we just heard it there, the cross tells us, on the cross, Jesus won. He beat, defeated, death, sin, and the devil. And then God raised him up and seated him, as we said before, And so Jesus holds the highest ground. If you're ever in a fight, what do you need? High ground. 
Who's got the highest ground? The one who's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Jesus holds the highest ground. That's great for us to know. But there is a mention here of this enemy, this one who's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? He's not mentioned by this name in Ephesians, but his name is Satan. And we are told these things. We're told that he is real. He is an individual agent of evil. That he's fallen. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's fallen from heaven. He's an enemy to the believer. His name means accuser. You'll know him by his work. His name means accuser. And what he'll do is he will whisper accusations to the saints about your unworthiness to stand before the Father. He is a deceiver. It says that he will masquerade as an angel of light. And he is a destroyer. Have a listen to uh, Jesus uh, when he describes Satan, I think in the most pithy way that I I can find. In John 10.10, Jesus is talking about being a shepherd. He's talking about being the one who cares for the sheep. He has this to say about his opponent In John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full. How will we know Satan's work? It will be to steal something from you, to kill something in you, to destroy something. Kill, steal, destroy. And as he does it, He will be lying to you about the outcome. He is a deceiver and a destroyer. Well, that's pretty scary, isn't it? I I, I think once we, whenever we turn our attention to the uh, the idea of the spiritual realm, it's quite possible for us to immediately go, "Crikey, maybe I was in the ignorant camp, or maybe I was in the tame camp." And now you're telling me all this is real, and you're telling me how powerful and dangerous Satan is. It can feel overwhelming. I want to give you this scripture right at this point here. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says this, and maybe you want to write this down. I've actually given you a piece of paper today to take home. You know we have, um, you know we have the Karen Connect cards? The Karen Connect cards come back to me. That's great. Jeff and I love reading them. Giving you a piece of paper today, so you might want to take some of this away. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3.3, it says this, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Isn't that great? He is faithful. He will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. You need not be afraid of your future when it comes to Satan. He has been defeated and the Lord Jesus will protect you. Nonetheless, there is a battle and the battle is described in Ephesians 6 here. So how will God protect us in this battle? Uh, I had the joy of going to a medieval fair the other day, very exciting, and I was actually watching the men, mostly, uh, get dressed into their armour. Highly appropriate uh, for this sermon today. Have a look at how God will help uh, his followers uh, in the battle. Uh, Let's have a look. Uh, We'll go from verse 10, uh, sorry, from verse 12. Oh, sorry, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's our job? Well, the first thing we need to know is that standing firm, enduring is the key outcome. Keep standing. The second thing we want to see is that the strength and armor are God's. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power is what it says in verse 10. And unless you think, where does this armor come from? I've just said it's from God. Have a listen to this wonderful little bit from Isaiah 59. This is in the Old Testament. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. See, the righteousness as a breastplate is God's. The helmet of salvation is God's. And he offers it to us for our protection. So let's look at them. Actually, I'm going to need some help today. Uh, If I can have, uh, Luke, do you want to come up? Steve, do you want to come up for a sec? I'll see if these guys can help me. Can I get you guys to get your um, piece of paper out? You're going to need to just just draw an outline of a man like this. That'll be really helpful. Um, Guys, what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to get one of you to read the first verse for each part, highlight it, and one of you read the second verse. Is that all right? You'll need to kind of share the, um, the mic. Uh, so has everyone got their pens and papers out? It, this, this, is, this is the way to kind of keep you engaged, you see. I'm, I'm trying something different. Uh, if you can draw a soldier. Now, draw your stick figure. It doesn't have to be a work of art, right? Stick, legs, arms. And we're going to go through them one bit at a time. I want you to draw on each bit of armour as it comes along. Does that sound okay? I'm wi- I know that you're with me. I can feel that enthusiasm just bubbling up from you. Is that right? Great, yeah, no, good, excellent. All right, we're going to start with uh, the belt of truth. There it goes. Uh, Can you, uh, who's got the first one for me, mate? That's you, go, Luke. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Excellent. Steve? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. The truth that we bind around our middle is the truth of the gospel that saves us and then the true living that we should walk in. So the truth saves us and the truth helps us to stand. Buckle on truth as the starting point, the belt of truth. Let's go to the next one, the breastplate of righteousness. There it is. So it's basically a T-shirt, everyone who's drawing. Yep. T-shirt, draw a T-shirt. 
And you can write a little line that says, this is really a very sophisticated piece of armour, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, if you can give us the first verse that will help us understand the breastplate of righteousness. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Excellent. Thanks. And the next one? I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Awesome. Where's our righteousness come from? Yes, either of those answers are true. God, Jesus, the Bible, it's good. Uh, it comes from God, it says, and it's through faith. So how do I put a breastplate of righteousness on? I look to God and I say, God, you have made me righteous. You wash my sins away. What I'm putting on is my new life. Your washing, your cleansing, your right standing. That's what I'm putting on, the breastplate of righteousness. And it protects our hearts. It keeps our hearts assured from fear, knowing that our right standing comes from God and is through faith. So, breastplate of righteousness. The next one is the shoes of readiness. Just put two circles around the sticks on the bottom of your stick figure. That'd be great. Shoes of readiness. Guys, tell us where this comes from. So, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Awesome. Steve? Philemon chapter 6. Oh, verse 6. Verse 6, yeah. <laughs> I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So good. Uh, let me tell you this. So the Roman soldiers, do you, know, do you know what Roman sandals are? You know, the long strappy ones? They had great shoes, which meant they could march and be ready. It meant they could be agile and active. It meant that they could stand where they needed to stand. And so what we're, what we're told here is that they have shoes of readiness, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And you'll find out how good these shoes are, it says in Philemon 6, by using them. If you want to know all the goodness of the gospel, guess what? Tell it to somebody else. Tell it to somebody else. Have you done that recently? Some of you have. Some of you are going, I don't think so. I should try that out this week. I'd encourage you to try it out. It's fantastic. So be ready to speak of the gospel of peace, the good news that we have. So we've got a breastplate, we've got truth, we've got shoes on. What's next? The shield of faith. Go for it, Luke. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Fantastic. Where's our faith come from? It's a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. If you've lived in a spiritual world that is full of fear, the fact that, that Ephesians here encourages us, you can, you can approach the living God with freedom and confidence 
That's what faith will give us, freedom and confidence. That's how this shield is able to put out all the fiery arrows of the devil. He would sow doubt in you. He would sow defeat in you. Instead, what's faith give us? Freedom and confidence. What a beautiful combination uh, they are. So that's the shield of faith. Now we want to put on the helmet of salvation. Go for it, mate. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the helmet is connected to salvation. The next bit, Steve. 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it is, has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Ah, so good. Thanks, Steve. So what's Jesus done? He's brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. What's Paul say? I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Why is the helmet of salvation so good? Because when doubts get in here, what you can know is, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. He saved me. The helmet of salvation, it wasn't it wasn't by my own effort. It was by grace. He knows me. He loves me. My doubts will be defeated by this amazing sense of knowing for sure Jesus has covered me. He has paid the price. The helmet of salvation. Get it on. And now the sword of the Spirit. The only one that's a pokey, proddy, out there kind of one. Read this one for us, Luke. Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Anyone know he was speaking to? The devil. How does Jesus keep the devil at bay when he's tempted? The word of God. He quotes scripture back to the devil to keep the devil at bay. You want to keep him at bay? Build a bigger sword. Get some more scripture into you. You can have a really large sword if you get for scripture memorization, I reckon. But the, the idea is, this here ends up being your way to ward off Satan. Have a listen to the next bit. It's absolutely brilliant. Hebrew, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's a sword in our hand. It'll defeat and ward off Satan. It'll cut through to us and show us what we need to cut out. It is absolutely the weapon that we need to have in our hands. I hope your sick people have got swords. Is that right? Some of you are still drawing. Very good. Thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate your help. That's really great. So I want to ask you, as you look at your little man, what article of the armour are you missing? Pants. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's gold. That's very good. Ah, oh, that's excellent. 
Uh, please wear the pants of purity or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> to cover up your nakedness and shame. Um, I, I think it's worthy of some reflection when you go home. Yeah? Whose armour is it? It's God's. Has he got enough for you? Are any of the bits that he provided for you missing? So the answer to that has to be no, they're not missing. Are you not picking some up? Entirely possible. So how do we put them on? I better get up a little bit quicker here. Uh, This was a guy putting the armour on. Have a listen to what it says about how the armour is put on. Uh, I think it might surprise us. Verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me too that when I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains. And pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How do you put on the armour of God? Well, first thing you do is you're alert. And second thing you do is you always pray. Always praying. Prayer is the way I say, God, I know you. That's my helmet of salvation. How do I, how do I find assurance that my, my faith is, is, uh, is, is, is strong and in place to defeat the devil? Well, I'm praying. I'm being encouraged by God through his word. So I'm alert and I'm always praying. Uh, I love uh, this little picture here, not least of all because I think it's a weird thing. Can you see this, um, this thing that's set up on the rooftop there? Can anyone guess what it is? It's an antenna, yes. What's the guy doing, do you think, with it? Phoning home? He's not phoning home. Guess what he's doing? He's calling in an airstrike. So what, see, see the armament that he has just in front of him. How big is that? What he's doing is he's saying, power in the sky, I want you to bring the pain over to here. He can't do it on his own. And what he's doing is he's calling in the airstrike, he's saying, I want you, much more powerful than me, to deliver the outcome over here. Prayer is calling in the airstrike, I think, in the spiritual battle. If we're just fighting on our own, our own little pop gun isn't really going to do very much. What we want to do is call in the airstrike from the Lord and say, Lord, you come and save me. And this prayer is not of religion. It's a prayer of relationship. I know the Lord. I'm asking him very specifically to save me, to sustain me, to help me to stand. I watched some battles at the medieval fair. It's pretty fun, pretty brutal. What do I want you to know about this spiritual battle that we're engaged with? Firstly, the spiritual world is real, really is. It's a significant reality. Secondly, the cross has given victory. Jesus isn't isn't likely, isn't ever going to lose his seat at the right hand of the Father. That is utterly won forever. Satan is defeated. The cross brings victory. The battle is won in prayer. The battle is won in prayer. And winning is enduring. It's standing firm. Can I say, uh, as a little advertising, every now and again we have a monthly prayer meeting. 
And I love the people who come and pray with me, and I love those who pray at home. That's all fine. Can I encourage you? The reason that we pray is because it's not just because we have nice seats and nice lighting that this church is going to go forward. Do you believe me? Maybe it will go forward because we have nice seats and nice lighting. Is that right? For new life to come to every home out there, something spiritual has to change. The dead, spiritually, need to be resurrected. People need to turn from their sins and find new life in Jesus. How does that happen? We need to call in an airstrike. We need the Lord to proceed before us. And so when we have a prayer day, come and join us. I would value your prayers. We talk about enduring. Our, our church has four, four, four values that we love. Faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. Enduring is taking a stand. And after you've done everything to stand, how do we do that? We ask ourselves three questions. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? Who knows you well enough to ask this question? Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? Today I want you to think, if we're going to stand, if we're going to stand, I need to know where I'm weak. I need to know someone else knows it and is going to pray for me. And I need to strengthen others to run the race with me. I want to finish with this quote from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But you, man of God, is writing to Timothy, who would say, but you, person of God, no problems. But you, person of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. May God enable us to stand against a real enemy, to endure to the end, and to add many to this building who are set free from darkness to light. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your resources. We thank you that your son Jesus won the victory. We thank you that though there might be days of battle and days of evil ahead, you have equipped us with your armour. Father, may you cause us to take our stand well. And Father, may we stand strengthened by you, praying in the Spirit on all occasions. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.